Greetings and salutations out there, sports fans all across the wonderful, wonderful internet. My name is Michael Shibley, and you have caught another wonderful edition of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Stage Diver Radio Network. Hope you guys are having a great one out there. We've got a huge episode coming up. Football season is almost here. We had a couple of college games that happened last weekend, but we're getting all into it coming up. And we've got, of course, my picks for what's going on in the SEC, my favorite conference where my beloved Tennessee Vols are. And of course, I got my picks for who's going to make the college football playoff this year, as well as how I think Tennessee's going to do. You're going to have to hang around through the end of the podcast to listen to how I think my beloved Vols are going to do. So stick around with that, Tennessee fans. I've got it all worked out. We'll see. Is Tennessee going to be able to get back to a bowl game? How is Jeremy Pruitt going to be as his first year as head man of the Volunteers? We'll get all that taken care of. But first, got to take care of some business here. And of course, you are listening again to the Modern Day Gladiators podcast here on the Stage Diver Radio Network, which you can check out at stagediverradio.com. You can check out all the great podcasts we've got there, including Haffle, One Faller, 60 Minutes, Deadbeat Radio, J&B's DLC, People in My Neighborhood, The Other F Word, and Scruffy Little Podcast. You can check all those out. There's media players there where you can download and listen to all those great episodes. Of course, you can also check us out wherever you get all of your great and favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. So they're all there for you to download. And of course, for all of them that you listen to, please like, subscribe, share, comment. That really helps us out, helps with the algorithms and all those cool things. And we want to know what you guys think. Please give us those five-star reviews. If you think we are a five-star podcast, we want to hear from you. You can't be like Dave Meltzer with Okada and Omega and give them seven stars, but you can still give us a five stars if you think we totally reek of awesomeness. We would love to hear from you. We want your feedback. You can also reach out to us at stagediverradio at gmail.com. And of course, you can always call the hotline at 865-888-0109. And from there, you can just leave a message and let us know what you think. Ask us a question. You leave anything for me, I will happily answer to it, get back to you. Also, if you want to interact with me directly, you can check me out on Twitter and Instagram at Michael underscore Shibley, S-H-I-B as in boy, L-E-Y. And of course, on Facebook, you can also check out the Modern Day Gladiators site there as well, where we always post stories and different things. And I had my video uh, recap and my thoughts on what happened with the Urban Meyer punishment. That was breaking news that happened last week after the podcast had already been released. So I wanted to get my take on that. You can check me out there and, of course, on my YouTube page, which is also Michael Shibley. So check us out there. And, of course, like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. All that out of the way, good, because we got to go into it big time here. College football season is just around the corner for full-on all the teams getting and playing and getting ready to go. And, of course, the optimism as all of us are at an all-time high. We all think our team is going to be much better than we probably think they're going to be. My Tennessee Vols, myself probably included in that. But we will see how that goes. The expectations are there. The picks, everybody's got to make picks. And I've made my picks. You guys, if you've tuned into past episodes, you've gotten my picks on all of the smaller conferences. My winner's there. Also, the Big 12 And the Pac-12, where I've got Washington winning the Pac-12, and I've got Oklahoma winning the Big 12. Meanwhile, you go into the ACC and the Big 10. I've got Wisconsin winning the Big 10, and 
I've got Clemson winning the ACC, but let's dive in to my favorite conference, the one I have been a fan of with my beloved Tennessee Vols, the SEC. Let's start with the SEC East, my top winner and the team that I think is going to represent the East in the SEC championship game in Atlanta is going to be the Georgia Bulldogs. I know Chase and Terry, part of Halfle there here on the Stage Diver Network, are going to love me hearing that. But I've got the Georgia Bulldogs winning the East again. They were so close to winning their you know, winning a national championship last year, their first since 1980 win. Uh, but Tua, the Tua Bomb just beat them there right at the end there in overtime. So that they were so close, yet so far, and Nick Saban getting his another national championship there with Alabama. But Tua Tagovailoa, you know they're just going to be repeating that play over and over this year. They've been playing it all through these previews for the season, but it's good to get these games going. So now we've got new highlights to look at, especially for Georgia fans who I'm sure are tired of seeing that. So anyway, I do like the Bulldogs again to win the East. Quarterback Jake Fromm, he is a proven winner, had a great freshman season, and now he's become a sophomore. I would love to think that he can get even higher. With that, they do have top recruit uh, quarterback as a freshman, also Justin Fields. Kirby Smart just keeps getting these guys in and being factors. We'll see how it goes uh, into the season. Are you going to be able to keep him happy? Are you going to be able to keep both of these guys happy? Because you might think, where are they going to end up? Is one of them going to transfer? I don't know. We will have to see because, you know, Jacob Eason was the starting quarterback last year, but then he got hurt and then he ended up uh, transferring to Washington. So he's sitting out this year, but he will be a factor there. We'll see what happens under center at Georgia. But whoever the quarterback is, and he's a great one, whoever it is, they've got a lot of help as well. Because, yes, you do have to replace Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle, two great running backs who were there forever, it seemed like. They're both in the NFL right now. DeAndre Swift, though, had a pretty good freshman season last year. He's going to lead the charge, as well as Elijah Holyfield, the son of former heavyweight champion Evander Holyfield. So you got some warriors back there for the Georgia Bulldogs to run the football. Where you've got to look at is on defense they do have to replace seven starters many of them in the NFL right now but of course Kirby Smart had the number one recruiting class going in to this season so it looks like he's just pretty much rebuilding reloading not even rebuilding that's a terrible word for them they're going to reload they're going to be fine on defense no matter how many starters they lost from last year they've got plenty of talent to win the SEC East the other teams when you look at it South Carolina is probably their best competition they have of course quarterback Jake Brantley and wide receiver Debo Samuel they are a great tandem Samuel also does a great job running back kicks for the Gamecocks the best offense that Will Muschap will have had coaching in the SEC, whether he had coached when he was the head man at Florida and now as the head man at South Carolina, the offense might actually be better than the defense, which is weird when you think of a Will Muschamp coach team, but I do like South Carolina to be a very tough out for teams in the SEC East. I have them as my second uh, best team in the Eastern Division. The defense, I still think, yes, it might not be as good as the offense, but it's Will Muschamp and defense. I think the defense will be just fine. Moving on to the Florida Gators. 
They've got their new coach, Dan Mullen, over from Mississippi State. Of course, he coached under Urban Meyer there at Florida. He has moved over. The defense is going to be fine. They do have some holes in the secondary that I think they'll be able to plug in. Some people they've always done very well on defense there the last few seasons at Florida. The big thing, of course, is going to be who is going to play quarterback. Their offense at Florida has just not been what you imagine when you think of a Florida offense, whether under Steve Spurrier or Urban Meyer. They've always had great quarterback play, which has been the leader in that. So is it going to be Felipe Franks? Is it going to be Kyle Task? We will find out. But I do think Florida has, when you talk about some of the new coaches coming in with Jeremy Pruitt with Tennessee and with Dan Mullen in Florida, these guys here in the SEC East, Dan Mullen I do think has more tools overall depth-wise to work with at Florida than Pruitt does at Tennessee. But I do have Florida, you know, still... They're not there yet, but I do think Dan Mullen's going to build them back into a contender sooner rather than later there in Gainesville. I've got Tennessee, of course. I will give, again, my full report of what I think my beloved Vols are going to do in this football season. You're going to have to wait till the end of the show for those predictions, but then we moving on to the rest of the SEC East with Kentucky. Benny Snell Jr., he is a top running back in this conference. He is a load. He is fun to watch run the football, and I like what they're doing there. Nine starters return on defense. Again, that defense, not great at Kentucky, but you got nine starters returning. That's some good experience coming back. But again, the big thing with Stoops there as the head coach at Kentucky is where is the ceiling? Where is the floor? Are they better than 4-4 four and four in the SEC? I don't see it this season, but again, Kentucky is going to be a tough out for anybody who has to come and play in Lexington this season. Meanwhile, Missouri, I've got them in here as well. Drew Locke, he is an NFL-caliber quarterback. He's great. Also, we need someone with Missouri besides defensive tackle Terry Beckner Jr. to be good on defense. They still have a lot of holes there on defense. Drew Locke can do all the scoring he wants, but you got to stop people occasionally, and that's where Mizzou is going to run into some trouble as they seem to have had that problem the last few seasons. Also, of course, rounding out the SEC East, Vanderbilt, Kyle Shermer, there at quarterback. He is a very good quarterback there for the Commodores, but you're going to need more than that. And now Ralph Webb, their all-time leading rusher at Vanderbilt, he is gone. Uh, of course, Vanderbilt always going to be a tough out on defense as long as Derek Mason, Mason is still their head coach. But again, Vanderbilt, I do have at the bottom of the SEC East this season. If I had to pick, I've got Georgia winning the SEC East. Moving on to one of the absolute toughest divisions in all of college football, probably rivaling the Big Ten East when it comes to quality of teams top to bottom. In it, going with the SEC West, my pick to win the SEC West, I've got the defending national champion, Alabama. Honestly, it doesn't matter who is going to be quarterback, whether it be Jalen Hurts or Tua Tagovailoa. The Tide have by far the best talent and the best coach in the conference. You can argue with that all day long. They've got the best of both worlds. They're going to be top. They're going to be the team to beat out there in the SEC West. 
And even though they only have two true starters returning on defense, you know all these guys, they're all five, four-star recruits. They're all just being loaded in. They got plenty of playing time last season, even though there's two true starters. They're still going to be Alabama. It's not like Saban is just going to forget how to coach football at this point. He knows what he's doing, and he's got a great uh, team come back. And, of course, we've got a top O-line, one of the best Offensive lines in the country is there in Tuscaloosa. Meanwhile, uh, Damian and Najee Harris, uh, not related. They are both very good top running backs there for Alabama. So there's still going to be the power in the SEC West. You got to get up. You got to beat them. And the best team I actually think who has a chance to beat them this season is Mississippi State. Auburn, yes, very good. I'll talk about them in a minute. But Mississippi State. 17 starters returning to Starkville there for new coach Joe Moorhead. So Dan Mullen knew what he was leaving at Mississippi State to go to Florida. Joe Moorhead, the former offensive coordinator with Penn State, coming in and being the new head man in Starkville to lead the Bulldogs and hear those cowbells ringing in Starkville. They've got a lot of talent coming back off a very solid team last year. And when you look at it, of course, it all starts with their quarterback, Nick Fitzgerald. Now, he is suspended for the first game of the season. Now, that's against Stephen F. Austin, so that really doesn't matter that much. But Nick Fitzgerald, a great quarterback. He's one of the only quarterbacks ever to have more than 4,400 passing yards and 2,400 rushing yards in a career. So he's a good one. If he can stay healthy, I think Mississippi State can go very far this season with Joe Moorhead leading the way as the head coach. The big problem, though, is they have to go to Alabama on November 10th. So it's always tough to play in Tuscaloosa, as many Tennessee fans know. So... That's where they could run into trouble, and that's why I still have Alabama winning the SEC West, but I really like what Mississippi State is doing. I think the Bulldogs of Mississippi State are going to be a very tough out there in the SEC West. Moving on to Auburn, of course, they're going to be in the mix as well. Jarrett Stinham, a great dual-threat quarterback. He is a really good guy and a fun guy to watch play football. They do have to replace the top two running backs, even though they seem to plug in good running backs there in the uh, Gus Malzahn offense, so that shouldn't be too big of an issue. Um, The big thing is going to be for Auburn is that you're going to have to replace four starters on the offensive line. And again, I am a big guy when it comes to line play. You give me a good quarterback, a good offense, and a good defensive line, you give me that, and I'm going to win a lot of football games. So you got to work on replacing that O-line. We'll see what happens there. The defense should be very strong again for Auburn with the Tigers. But of course, they end their regular season at Alabama. So the two big contenders that I think that can really challenge Alabama out west, Mississippi State, and Auburn, they have to travel to Tuscaloosa this season. So that could be where Alabama really goes out and just wins the SEC West is because they have the home field advantage over the other two teams that I think could really challenge them. The other schools out in the SEC West, LSU, Coach Orgeron, still there with a very strong defense as always, which again, all you got to do is just go out and recruit for five seconds in Louisiana and you'll get plenty of good five-star defensive guys there. The big thing, as always, they got to replace Darius Geis, who, of course, moved on to the NFL. He has run into some issues where he tore, I believe, his ACL in a preseason game with the Redskins, so that hurts him. But uh, LSU's got to replace him. Plus, 
are they finally going to get some good quarterback play? And again, they have another offensive coordinator. It's just a revolving door of offensive coordinators there. Is the offense going to be able to do anything, especially through the air, and get competent quarterback play? We will find out. But again, that's why I've got LSU below Mississippi State and Auburn in the pecking order of the SEC West. Texas A&M, also, I like Jimbo Fisher. I like the move over there. And of course, he's going to have to be very quickly prove that he's worth all the money that they're paying him, the 10-year, uh, $7.5 million contract, whatever it is, just an exorbitant amount of money that they're paying him. That means he's got to work quick to produce some results. I don't think it happens this year. He's got a solid group there. But again, a shaky offensive line could prove to be a problem. Also, the first month of the season is not kind to the AM Aggies. They get to host Clemson, which again... I've got Clemson vying for a national championship, so even though it is in Aggieland, which is a tough place to play, I think Clemson's going to come out of that one with a win, and of course, they've got to go to Alabama September 22nd, so Clemson and Alabama are on the September schedule, so the Aggies fans could be out of it by the end of the month. We'll just have to see how they respond to the new head coach. Meanwhile, Ole Miss, they still got some very good offensive talent there in Oxford, However, the Landshark defense has become minnows as of late, and it doesn't look like it's going to get any better. Of course, they can't compete for a bowl game this year, so Ole Miss I don't think is going to be much of a factor in the SEC, as well as Arkansas. Chad Morris has come in from SMU to uh, fix some of the issues left behind by Brett Bielema, who was not really able to take the success he had at Wisconsin and bring it to the SEC. Uh, They are just kind of low on overall talent there at Arkansas, so I don't think they're going to be much of a factor as well out in the SEC West. And again, my picks, I've got Georgia winning the SEC East, and I've got Alabama winning the West. I do have Alabama, when you've got these two competing, I've got a weird situation happening. I've got Georgia and Alabama then facing each other in the SEC Championship game. I have Alabama getting the win and winning the uh, SEC championship, and then we go to the playoff. This is where it's going to get very interesting because right now I just don't see teams besides a lot of these big names that we've been talking about all season breaking through. Some of these teams are very solid, but again, this is why it's the preseason. That's why we're taking guesses and making predictions. I could be completely wrong, and I probably will be, knowing just how crazy and fun college football can be but my playoff I've got the number one seed Alabama the number two seed will be Clemson I've got Wisconsin number three out of the Big Ten and I've got Georgia again making the playoff as the four seed so that means Alabama and Georgia will play each other in the SEC championship game and then I've got them playing each other again in the Cotton Bowl on December 29th in the first round of the college football playoff. Alabama will face Georgia. And then I've got Clemson and Wisconsin in the Orange Bowl there on December 29th as well. I've got that great Clemson defensive line taking on that Wisconsin great offensive line that they have. But I have Clemson getting the win there. And then, of course, the national championship game taking place in Levi's Stadium January 7th. It's where the 49ers play out there in Santa uh, Santa Clara, California. Excuse me. I've got Clemson getting the win against Alabama as they meet for the fourth time 
in the college football playoff. I've got Dabo Sweeney getting the better of Nick Saban. That defensive line, I just love it so much. I think Clemson is going to win a national championship. So it will have gone Alabama, Clemson, Alabama, Clemson these past four years. That is my prediction. I'm going to stick with it. We'll see what happens as the season goes on. But that's my picks. I hope you guys, I want to know what you guys think. You know, tweet me again, Michael underscore Shibley. Comment on the Facebook page. Again, Modern Day Gladiators. I want to know what you guys think. What are your picks going in to the season as well? And speaking of that, we've got game picks happening. So I want to run down my top uh, 10 games that I've got going into week one and give you my predictions as well as we wrap up this first segment. Uh, Florida Atlantic, Lane Kiffin and the Owls heading to Norman to face Oklahoma. I've got Oklahoma getting the win there. Ole Miss versus Texas Tech. That's happening in Houston. I've got the Texas Tech Red Raiders getting the win there in a very high-scoring affair. Take the over on that one. I don't even know what it is, but take the over in that game. Meanwhile, the probably one of the best games of opening weekend, two top 10 teams going at it is number six, Washington, taking on Auburn in Atlanta. I'm going with Auburn mostly for the fact that it's in Atlanta. They're going to have a little bit of a home field advantage there at beautiful Mercedes-Benz Stadium. However, Washington, their head coach, Chris Peterson, has come into Atlanta and pulled an upset. When Boise State, when Chris Peterson was the head coach of the Boise State Broncos, this was a few years ago, they went in and beat Georgia in Atlanta, which was a big surprise then. So it wouldn't surprise me if Washington gets the win, but I do have Auburn getting a very close, close win in Atlanta. The game day game where they're heading uh, on campus, it's Michigan and Notre Dame. They are renewing a rivalry that I'm so glad they are because this is a great early season matchup that they've had for a long time. Then they stopped doing it a few seasons ago, but I'm glad it is back. I believe the last time they played was 2014. Uh, The Wolverines, again, got a good defense. Now they've got Shea Patterson at quarterback, but I don't think that's going to be enough. I think Notre Dame, with the home field advantage, their raucous student section, and just the hype going into the new season, I've got Notre Dame getting the win in a great early season matchup against Michigan. UNC and Cal, UNC with all the suspensions that they've got, I've got Cal getting the win there. Louisville against Alabama taking place at the neutral site at Camping World Stadium, I believe, in Orlando. I've got Alabama getting the win there. I pity the guy who has to start quarterback in place of Lamar Jackson there at Louisville who did all those great and wonderful things. He gets now to be the starting quarterback at Louisville, not only to replace Lamar Jackson, but his first game, he has to play Alabama. So good luck to you, sir, whoever you may be. But I've got Alabama getting the win there. BYU in Arizona, Khalil Tate, Arizona. He is a great quarterback to watch. Kevin Sumlin's got a good talent there. I've got Arizona getting the win in that one. Tennessee, West Virginia. I'll talk more about that uh, later in the podcast, so I will hold my pick on the Tennessee game until the end there. Meanwhile, on Sunday, you've got Miami versus LSU in uh, Cowboy Stadium there in Arlington. I've got Miami getting the win there. And on Monday night, a really good ACC matchup as the Virginia Tech Hokies have to travel to Tallahassee to play Willie Taggart, the new head coach there at, uh, at Florida State. And DeAndre Francois was just named starter, so it's good to have him back in the fold after he was injured and out for the rest of the year against Alabama, but I do have Florida State getting the win at home in Willie Taggart's first game under the helm at 
Florida State. The Tomahawk Chop will be rocking on Monday night there. So that's going to wrap up this first segment. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We are going to take a quick break here, but we will be back with all the other big news that has been happening throughout the week. We will hit up shibbles and bits on the other side. You're listening to Modern Day Gladiators here on the Stage Diver Radio Network. Hey guys, this is Jay Kendrick. And I'm Biggie. And we're here today to talk to you about a new video game podcast coming to Stage Diver Radio Network entitled J&B's DLC. So has this ever happened to you while you're playing a video game? Get good, noob. Your mom looks like Sean Connery and I'd still bang her get wrecked. Well, you're in luck, because we have a podcast by gamers. For gamers. Every other Monday, everywhere podcasts can be found, and at stagediverradio.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages. I am your host of the Modern Day Gladiators podcast. My name is Michael Shibley. I am the man in the arena with these Modern Day Gladiators here on the Stage Diver Radio Network. Hope you guys have been having a great one. And again, thank you guys for hanging around and sticking with us. We're going to go with all the other big news. I know we were very college football focused in that first segment, but hey, football season is here. I love college football. It's my all time favorite. So I hope you guys are there with me for that ride. But we got to hit up all the other news and bits that have been going on around the sports world. So let's hit it up. Let's hit up shibbles and bits. Moving on to professional football as the big news finally came out that uh, Giants wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. agrees finally to a contract extension. Five years, $95 million, and $65 million of that is guaranteed, making him the highest paid wide receiver in the NFL. That's great for him. He was great at LSU. He has been just a star in the NFL, and that's what you need. You know, you've got these star players, and if they're worth that money, you pay them that money. Eli Manning has got a great target to throw to now that Odell Beckham Jr. is back from injury. You know, he got hurt last season, so it's great to have him back, and I think he's worth that money. Eli Manning is back, and now you got Saquon Barkley, uh, the great rookie running back there from Penn State. I think he's going to be a huge factor with the Giants' offense there as well. So I'm very excited to have uh, Odell Beckham Jr. back in football. And again, he's one of these guys that you turn that channel and you see that he's on, you watch him play. He is fun to watch. He is a great wide receiver. And it's good to see him get the money that I think he does deserve. Moving on to the hard court in the NBA, uh, a future Hall of Famer in Spurs guard Manu Ginobili. Uh, He's 41 years old, and after 16 seasons of playing in the NBA from Argentina, he has decided to hang it up, and uh, he announced his retirement. Again, a surefire future Hall of Fame basketball player was just a huge linchpin in this Spurs dynasty that we had. Him, along with Tim Duncan and Tony Parker, uh, just you know, four NBA championships with the trio of them together. Tim Duncan won a uh, another championship with uh, David Robinson earlier in his career. But it's just now officially really an end of an era here for the San Antonio Spurs as, again, Mano, Gino- Mano Ginobili retiring. And Tim Duncan, of course, retired two years ago. 
Uh, and Tony Parker has now moved on to the Charlotte Hornets. And of course, Kawhi Leonard, who many thought was the future of the franchise there in San Antonio, was traded to Toronto. So we will see what Greg Popovich can do with the talent that he's got there, including uh, DeMar DeRozan, who was the one that uh, Kawhi Leonard was traded for. So we will kind of see how all that shapes out. But again, an end of an era there for the Spurs but and a great player and many of you remember you know most of his peers who had to play against him he was a pest he was a guy who was a solid defender really good scorer but just a pesty kind of guard one of those guys and many of you uh, might remember he was the guy who there was a bat that somehow got into the arena where the Spurs were playing and Manu Ginobili just took his hand and slapped the bat out I think pretty much killing it or at least knocking it out uh that happened a few years ago and then uh of course they had to rush in and give him some hand sanitizer because who knows what that bat had on him but uh anyway always good memories of Mano Ginobili and I wish him well in his post basketball career probably the best player uh from any uh Latin American country or in South America as well a great player there for Argentina did his country well and I wish him the best in all of his post basketball career meanwhile let's go to the hard court in tennis as the US Open has gotten another way they're in Flushing Meadows in New York uh, the number one women's seed Simona Halep of Romania the defending French Open champion she was ousted in the first round of the U.S. Open, the first time that has ever happened in the last 50 years, I believe, of the Women's Open draw in the U.S. Open. She was ousted by uh, Kaya Kanepi, Kanepi of Estonia. Uh, it's interesting because, you know, you've got these draws that you've got for the U.S., the, the Women's Open and all these majors. And it was weird. You've got the number one player in the world, and she was paired against the 44th ranked player in the world, which... I just don't think that's really fair seeding when you look at the draw. I know there's got to be some higher uh, or, I guess, lower-ranked players that you'd think the number one player in the world should be facing. So, But again, uh, Kanepi, I believe is her name, she just used her power and powered herself past, again, the defending French Open champion in Simona Halep, or Halep uh, 6-2-6-4. So just blew her away, really, in tennis. And this was the first uh, major or Grand Slam event that they're having in tennis where they now have a 25-second serve clock. So that's something to look out for as this tournament progresses, where now once you get the ball out, you've got 25 seconds to serve. It's trying to speed up the game, as it seems like all these uh, sports are trying to do, as now you don't just want to sit there in these marathon sessions uh, so you're trying to move the game on a little bit, and I think that's a good thing for tennis. As uh, Also good for tennis, especially here in the U.S., uh, the Williams sisters, Serena and Venus, both moved on easily, as well as defending champ uh, Sloan Stevens advance out of their first-round matchups. Speaking of Serena Williams, the French Open uh, came out today and made, or not today, just this past week, and made a ruling that uh, they are making some dress code changes there at the French Open where they're just wanting, I guess, uh, a, just a more uniform style of look that they're wanting there at Roland Garros on the clay. And uh, French Tennis Federation President Bernard uh, Judesi, I believe, I apologize if I mispronounced that one, 
says the tournament that Williams has won three times is introducing a dress code to regulate players' uniform because I think that sometimes we've gone too far. He was mostly pointing to uh, Serena Williams' cat suit that she's worn, which is pretty much an all-black attire that's, you know, tight-fitting up top and just, uh, you know, tight pants as well. So they're not, I guess, wanting to have that look there at the French Open, which, again, as they're... They're allowed to do that. They're allowed to make these type of rules. Uh, they are saying that Roland Garros is not wanting their rules to be as strict as they have in Wimbledon, which, for those of you who don't know, at Wimbledon, where they play, uh, they require all players to wear white. So, again, that's the rules that they have there. Roland Garros, they're allowed to make their own rules for the French Open and Serena Williams has come out and pretty much said uh, she doesn't have a problem with it. That's their rules, and she will abide by them. She has no qualms with it, so everybody else who seems to have an issue with it just needs to chill out because Serena's fine with it, so you guys should be too. And that's my opinion. If they want to make a dress code, that's perfectly within their right to do it. They've had the dress code of all white at Wimbledon forever at the All England Tennis Club, and no one has complained about that forever, so... Just go with it, roll with it, and just enjoy Serena Williams wearing the cat suit at other events. And you guys will be check her out at the U.S. Open, where I'm sure she's got the cat suit on and dominating. So, as again, she won her first round matchup. Moving away from tennis, back to the NFL. This is a trend that I can get behind. The Atlanta Falcons are going to sell $5 craft pale ale beers at home games this season. After peeling back some prices on some of the most popular concession items last year uh, to unprecedented levels, the Atlanta Falcons are now, again, issuing $5 craft beers. Starting September 16th against the Panthers and any home playoff games, so all regular season and home games, uh, the craft beer price, along with all other concession prices, will remain the same even next February when Atlanta hosts Super Bowl 53 there at beautiful Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh, despite you know them usually elevating concession prices uh, at the Super Bowl. So again, locally, uh, small batch beers, they're going to cost $5 for 12 ounces, $7 for 20 ounces, uh, the lowest price for craft beer offering in the four major North American sports. So that makes me happy because, I mean, you, you've got all these other things. I remember this was back in 2011. I went, I was visiting my sister who was living up in New York. At the time we went to see the Yankees play. We went to the new Yankees stadium and they had beers and all the concession prices there. Um, a Bud Light was $9. Not Nothing special about it. Nothing like not a big glass, just a bottle of Bud Light, $9. And it's definitely not worth that Bud Light. Personally, I don't think it's worth 50 cents, but that's just me. But a Bud Light being worth $9 is just insane. I mean, you look at the prices of some of these concession places, and it's nuts when you look at it. Uh, Falcons, uh, the Atlanta Falcons, who, and he also owns Atlanta United, the MLS team that plays in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh, the owner, Arthur Blank, he surprised many last year when he opened up uh, these food prices and made things just much more expensive. Uh, water, hot dogs, pretzels, unlimited Coca-Cola, they were all like $2 each, uh, 50% lower than what it was back at the old Georgia Dome, and fans spent 16% more. So you give them a lower price, they're going to spend more money on this stuff. So that's awesome to see. You realize, hey, 
you know, we're charging them just this exorbitant amount for concessions. Why don't we lower the price a little bit and they'll spend more? And it shows they spent 16% more on concessions last year, even though the prices were lower. So it worked out very well. Other pro, pro teams have started to adopt this as well. The Atlanta Hawks there in Atlanta have done that. The Washington Redskins will have value pricing this year at a lot of their home games. Also, the Rose Bowl out there in Pasadena has said they're going to lower their prices for concessions for UCLA football games, which is good because unless UCLA is playing a big-time opponent, that Rose Bowl looks just empty a lot of times when UCLA is playing. But hopefully Chip Kelly will get the Bruins back to where the Rose Bowl is full and not just for the Rose Bowl. So that's awesome to see. And again, really excited to see that. And hopefully the new concept will happen. Of course, the funny thing is always for me, when the uh, the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium opened in Atlanta, they have a Chick-fil-A restaurant in the stadium. And it's funny because the Falcons usually play on Sunday unless there's a Thursday or Monday night football game there. And uh, Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. And they did not grant special exceptions for the NFL. So hopefully, uh, you know, that might change. It's still just funny to me that they've got a Chick-fil-A in there, but Atlanta Falcons fans at their home games can't buy it because Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. But a final cool thing to have, we always like to try and end shibbles and bits on a, on a good note. And this is a really good story to hear. Andrew Jones, he is a a basketball player for the University of Texas. He has now completed his treatment for leukemia. So this is awesome, awesome to hear. Uh, The Texas basketball player, Andrew Jones, again, he was diagnosed with leukemia earlier in the year. And he has now finally finished his treatment, which is just awesome. He was the Longhorns' leading scorer at 13.5 points per game. Uh, back in January when he began to complain about extreme fatigue following uh, the game they had January 1st against Iowa State. And then after that, they diagnosed him with leukemia. He didn't get to play any other games for Texas uh, during uh, last season. But again, he is well and doing better. And again, he is done with his... the the, uh, all the treatment that he's got there, the chemotherapy treatment is what I'm trying to say. I couldn't, I can't believe I couldn't think of chemotherapy, but it's great to see. And hopefully again, he was a, an NBA prospect going in. So hopefully he'll get another chance to get out there and compete uh, for Texas. And I'm very happy for him. And again, the students and the fans of Texas raised about $200,000, I think to help him with him and his family with the medical costs and traveling and all those good things. So that's always just awesome awesome to hear when uh, it goes well like that. And I wish him the best and hope he comes out of this great. I remember uh, Chris Lofton uh, years ago for the Tennessee Vols when he was going under cancer treatment quietly. I mean, I think Bruce Pearl and Lofton's family were the only ones who knew about it. And that just answered a lot of why he just, the shooting wasn't there as much for his senior season. But uh, you know, the fans, once we knew about it, we rallied behind him and just was great to hear. So it's awesome to see and love hearing stories like that. 
So, great to hear. Thank you guys for listening again. Wrapping up shibbles and bits. We are going to be the man in the arena here on Modern Day Gladiators. We're going to get into the arena. Let's talk wrestling. And again, for once, not the last segment of the show, I've got my Tennessee prediction. So hang around. We are almost there, Vols fans. I will break all that down at the end. But let's talk wrestling real quick. The big thing that happened on Raw Monday night was that Braun Strowman finally cashed in his Money in the Bank contract. But it didn't happen on Raw. He cashed it in, but the match has not happened yet. Instead, it's going to happen as he and Roman Reigns will face off for for the uh, WWE Universal Championship inside a hell in the cell. I'm okay with this. I like that they're doing it kind of differently. It's it's nice, I guess, that they're not having a just a quick title match. Like they're trying to cash it in. They're doing it. You know, early, I think, you know, John Cena did that against CM Punk one year. And, of course, Rob Van Dam did that against John Cena at an ECW event, one of their one-night-only pay-per-views. So, this has happened before, but not recently. Cool to see. But what I'm worried about, though, is the fact that now it's just a match that he's cashing in this title opportunity. Is Roman Reigns going to end up winning? Because it seems, to me, the way the WWE has been going with booking Roman Reigns that now they would love to have him have a lengthy title reign. And Braun Strowman, again, has been so hot. He's been one of the uh, people that the fans have really gotten behind and really would love to see him win the WWE Championship. They wanted him over Roman Reigns for a long time here. And now it just seems like he's just going to be maybe the first contender to fall to Roman Reigns in what could be a lengthy title reign. And I don't like that. Maybe he'll get the win back. Maybe he'll win the Royal Rumble uh, in January and then move to WrestleMania. But I'd rather just have him get the title here and then have them fight through the fall and winter. But again, I'm not in charge. But I just hope that they're just not going to blow this off as just one match thing. I hope it turns into some sort of feud of some kind where they fight Uh, and maybe trade back the WWE Championship, uh, the Universal Championship, I'm sorry, a little bit. But the big news going on in the world of wrestling this weekend coming up is Saturday, September 1st at the All-State Arena in Chicago is All In. It is the biggest independent show ever. It was booked by Matt and Nick Jackson of the Young Bucks and Cody Rhodes have booked that together. For those of you who don't know the history of this, um... A fan asked a longtime wrestling columnist and writer and reporter Dave Meltzer if, like, because New Japan, again, has been on the rise and Ring of Honor, would they be able to ever uh, fill a 10,000-seat arena for an event? And he said that probably won't, wouldn't happen anytime soon. Uh, the last time it happened was probably a WCW event. Uh, or, I'm sorry, an event that wasn't a WWE event the last time that that had happened was when it was probably WCW. And then Cody Rhodes uh, hopped on Twitter and said, I'll take you up on that bet. And he and the Young Bucks then got together and they put together a hell of a card. They're holding it at the Allstate Arena there in Chicago. And the uh, arena sold out in 30 minutes. So they put 10,000 people in the seat in 30 minutes. So they won that bet and it's going to be an awesome card. It's available on uh like the uh Honor Honor Club there for Ring of Honor. You can watch it streaming there if you're a subscriber or of course you can catch it on pay-per-view 
and I think Fight TV has it as well. You can also check, catch the pre-show on WGN America, which of course is on most cable packages, so you can check this out. But this is just, I've talked about this before, this is awesome for wrestling fans, because again, you've got the WWE, which you've always got, but you've got all these other options. You've got Ring of Honor, Lucha Underground, New Japan, you've got this big independent show, and the card is stacked. There's some great matchups here on that pre-show that you can catch for free. We've got the over-budget Battle Royal where they got 15 guys fighting in a Battle Royal. The winner will face Jay Lethal for the Ring of Honor World Championship later on in the night. Also on the pre-show, one of the best tag teams that has never worked in the WWE, the Briscoe Brothers. They will be facing uh, two members of SoCal Uncensored, so that should be awesome to watch on the pre-show. Meanwhile, the main card, some great stuff. Madison Rain, Britt Baker, Chelsea Green, and Tessa Blanchard in a women's four-way match. That should be awesome. Kenny Omega, of course, the best bout machine, one of my all-time favorites as of this time. He's facing Pentagon in a singles match, which should be awesome. If you haven't watched Lucha Underground, I suggest watching that and seeing some of Pentagon's good stuff. Of course, he's also in TNA as well. Meanwhile, uh, Christopher Daniels, the uh, <laughs> the fallen angel, Christopher Daniels, is going to face uh, Stephen Amell. Many of you know him from his work on Arrow, but he's also wrestled. He wrestled as part of a tag team at SummerSlam a few years ago, but he has been an honorary member of the Bullet Club and has been part of some of their multi-man matches that they have had. But this is his first ever one-on-one match, and he's got a good opponent in Christopher Daniels. I think that should be a lot of fun to watch. Rey Mysterio, Phoenix, and Bandito are going to face the Golden Elite in a three-way champion, uh, three-way tag team match. Uh, with uh, and of course the Golden Elite are the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson, and Kota Ibushi will be with them. You've got Joni Janela versus Hangman Page. You also got Kazuchika Okada, one of the best wrestlers on the planet, facing the villain from the Bullet Club, Marty Skrull, which should be awesome to watch. And of course the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship is on the line. The old 10 pounds of gold from way back when. The belt's still around. It's held by Nick Aldis, and he is facing Cody Rhodes for the title. And Cody's going to try and win this if he is successful. If Cody wins, he and, of course, his late father, the late great American dream Dusty Rhodes, he and Cody would be the first father-son duo to hold the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. So that would be really cool. I think Cody's going to get it done. He might do it by cheating his hind end off, but I do think Cody Rhodes gets it to uh, end all in. And we'll see if Flip Gordon somehow gets his way into the building. We'll find out. He's been trying to get booked for all in. Was never able to happen. We'll see if he can as well. But that's going to end the wrestling segment. And now we will finally talk Tennessee football. And man, it's been it's been a ride. Oh boy. Uh, you talk about what happened last season with Tennessee going with eight losses for the first time ever, going winless in the SEC. And then just the, the coaching search and just the craziness that happened with all of that and just the, you know, uh, the athletic director getting fired. Now Philip Fulmer is now athletic director. And he ended up hiring a good coach in Jeremy Pruitt. I like what Jeremy Pruitt has brought. He does not live in metaphors like certain other coaches that we have had. He is a no-nonsense guy. He is just a guy who has, you know, you've heard some of his comments talking about some of these guys just flat out quit during the spring game and He's just trying to change the attitude here on Rocky Top, and I think he's done a good job. I think the players have bought into it. It seems to 
be that way. We don't know who the starting quarterback is still going to be. They released they released the uh, depth chart, and there is it is essentially either going to be Keller Christ or Jarrett Garantano. They have not made mention, so we don't know who's going to take the first snap. I still personally believe it's going to be Christ is going to be the guy under center to start that game against West Virginia. And you look at that game against West Virginia, that is a tough matchup for for uh, Jeremy Pruitt and the Vols, especially coming off the season that they had. West Virginia, they've got a NFL-caliber quarterback in Will Greer, who has already beaten Tennessee once when he played at Florida, and he's got a Bolitnikoff finalist at wide receiver in David Sills the fifth. So again, West Virginia is going to be a real tough out for Tennessee. West Virginia favored by about 10 points as of last check, as of this recording. And I do think West Virginia is going to get the win. I think they're going to be scoring points, but I do think Tennessee can score points as well against West Virginia because West Virginia does not have a great defense. I do think West Virginia gets the win. I do think Tennessee covers for whatever that matters. But I do think West Virginia, the Mountaineers get the win in this matchup that's happening in Charlotte at the Bank of America Stadium where the Panthers play. I think West Virginia beats Tennessee 31-23. But I think Tennessee comes out, fans feeling a lot better in this loss than they did at the end of last season. I think they feel a lot better about where they are as a program. And again, Tennessee's got good talent at every position level. You look at what they've got. You know, they've got whoever's going to play quarterback. I think if it's Garantano, I think he's going to play much better than he did last season. I think Keller Christ is a solid option as well. Ty Chandler is a solid running back. We're going to have some of these other guys in there as well, moving in and out and rotating, but I think we're good in the backfield. You've got Juwan Jennings back at wide receiver, who was a big guy that we missed just at the beginning of last season after getting injured in the Georgia Tech game. Marquez Callaway also at wide receiver, very good guy there. You look at the offensive line that was ravaged by injuries. The one constant was Trey Smith, and I'm glad he's gotten these blood clots in his lungs taken care of because now he's been approved for football contact. So it's great to see them him back, as well as Drew Richmond, who is back from injury as well. So you've got some pieces on that offensive line. It's can they stay together and be a cohesive unit? That's what you have to look for. Meanwhile, on defense, we've moved to a 3-4, which could help. Tennessee just could not stop the run last year. Uh, they were 125th in rushing defense. Meanwhile, offense was terrible, too, with how bad the offensive line ended up with all the injuries that they had. We were 124th in total offense. So things can only go up from here, you would think, because there's only 130 teams in the Football Bowl subdivision or the FBS. So you shouldn't have much farther to drop when it comes to that. So I think Tennessee will go up from there. Moving again to that 3-4, you've got guys like Jonathan Kongbo, who seems to be re-energized with Jeremy Pruitt as the coach. Shy Tuttle, I think, could make it through a whole season without any injury issues. I think he could be a huge factor as well. Darren Kirkland Jr., back as a linebacker, finally back from injury. He could be a big factor, tackling machine there as well. And then, of course, you've got Nigel Warrior in the secondary. So we've got good, you know, all SEC caliber talent at every position level for this team. The thing is depth. Are you going to be able to get that talent 
to work with these guys, and if there's injuries again, are we going to be able to put people in that can compete in the SEC? That's going to be the big thing. Tennessee has got to stay healthy. Quarterback play and offensive line play have to be better, and we have to stop the run. I mean, I know the Georgia Tech thing we thought was just an aberration because of the triple option, but teams were just able to run all over Tennessee all season long. So that's going to be something to look at. The way the schedule shapes up, and it has got some brutality in it. If we run it down game by game, here's what I think is going to happen. We're going to be better as this season goes on. It might not show it in the wins and losses as the season goes, but Tennessee will be better and better, and they approve as they keep playing under Coach Pruitt. You look at West Virginia, I've already said that's going to be a loss to start the season. Then you've got ETSU and UTEP. Those are two wins. Florida... Again, you look at some of these games. Florida, probably a loss. Just you base it on, I think Florida's got more talent than Tennessee does coming back for these new coaches to work with. So I've got Florida getting the win there. And then you've got just the brutality of the October schedule. At Georgia, that's a loss. You've got the bye week, and then you've got at Auburn, and then Alabama comes to Neyland Stadium. I've got that as a loss as well. And then you've got, after that, South Carolina is coming off a bye to face Tennessee. We're at South Carolina. We're in Columbia. I think that's going to be a loss. Then finally, the losing streak will end at five, where I've got Charlotte with a win, and then I've got Tennessee winning out. I've got them beating Kentucky. I've got them beating Mizzou, and I've got them beating Vanderbilt in Nashville to be bowl eligible. I think Tennessee can pull out a 6-6 six and six campaign here. That's what I think I see. That's what I believe, and I think they can do it. I think they could win the last four games of the season. Mizzou is probably the toughest opponent there, but I've liked the way I think, again, Tennessee's going to improve and get just better as a team as the season wears on. As it seemed like Tennessee, the last couple of seasons under Butch Jones, almost faded down the stretch. And I'd rather have a team getting stronger and stronger as it goes on. So that's what I think. Now, again, you look at some of these games. You look at West Virginia, maybe their defense is worse than we think. Maybe Tennessee's able to do some things on defense to stop David Sills the fifth and maybe put some pressure on Will Greer. I don't believe that, but they the, the opportunity is there. That could be a win. I think it's a loss. But then you look at Florida. Maybe Tennessee will be a lot better. That could be a win. That's a game you have to look at as possibly a coin flip game. South Carolina as well as the season wears on. So Tennessee could get a couple of these wins here and there and maybe win seven games or maybe even win eight games. That's on the optimistic side of things. I see, again, six and six, and I think Tennessee will just have... They're going to finish the season, I think, again, on a four-game winning streak. If the fans can just hang in there through that brutal stretch from Florida, Georgia, Auburn, Alabama, and South Carolina. If you can hang in there through that, I think some good things happen at the end of the season, and you can be very proud of this team, even if they do just finish 6-6. Six and six. Hang in there, because I think brighter days will be ahead for Jeremy Pruitt as he coaches and recruits, because again, we're looking at some really good commitments as the recruiting season gets going, I think we can improve and I think we'll get more talent here to Rocky Top to get these Vols back to where we want them to be, competing 
for championships, not just competing for bowl games, competing for championships and fighting and beating Florida and Georgia and Alabama. We haven't beaten Alabama since 2006. The the time is going to come at some point. I'm getting tired of it. I got tired of losing to Florida. I'm really tired of losing to Alabama. So it's coming. It might not be this season, but I think it's coming. And I like what Pruitt's doing. And again, we will see how all this shapes out through the season And we will cover all of that here on Modern Day Gladiators. But again, Tennessee, I think they go 6-6, but end the season on a four-game winning streak to make the fans happy, looking forward to a bowl game, and looking forward to next season. And again, that's going to wrap up this episode of Modern Day Gladiators. I, again, am Michael Shibley. Thank you guys for listening and hanging out with me. Rocky Top, you are home sweet home to me. Can't wait for the season. We will talk about it again on Facebook and YouTube. Look for me there with some game wrap-ups after the uh, after each game happens. And of course, you can check out all the other great stuff at stagediverradio.com. Again, Michael Shibley signing off. Too sweet. Love you guys. See you next time. Go Vols.